Good morning. Let's turn in our Bibles to Matthew 26. This has been a long study, as, um, as we'll comment here in a minute, and it's been a very profitable study. I hope that you have taken um, applications to, uh, to uh, make in your life each week, and um, Lord willing, we'll have uh, some applications today. In our study two weeks ago, we saw Judas Iscariot set in motion his plan for betraying the Lord Jesus to the chief priests. Last week, we observed the Lord Jesus celebrating the Passover with his disciples and instituting what uh, we know today as the Lord's Supper. He um, presented the um, symbol of his body uh, to be soon to be broken uh, in the bread, and uh, he presented the cup as uh, his blood soon to be shed for the forgiveness of sins. We can't help but realize, as uh, we've been studying these last few weeks, that the time is growing very short, and events are moving quickly toward the end of the Lord Jesus' ministry on the earth. We can see this quickening tempo if, um, if we just review the book of Matthew, um, discounting the 2,100 years of the Lord's genealogy in Matthew 1, the, uh, the first two chapters, Matthew 1 and 2, cover 18 years, the, uh, the Lord's birth and his, um, uh, his childhood. 18 years and two verses. And then in, verses, and in chapters, um, sorry, in chapters three through 20, it covers about five years. Okay, so there we have um, uh, three through 20 covering five years. That's the, the Lord's earthly ministry up, up until this final week. Now, in chapters 21 through 28, we have not a year, not a month, but we're actually looking at seven days, the final seven days of the Lord Jesus' ministry. Um, Sunday, uh, if you think back a couple of months, was his triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Monday was, uh, was the Lord's uh, cleansing of the temple, clearing out the, the money changers. Um, Tuesday was the anointing of the Lord Jesus by the woman for his burial. Thursday evening, the Passover, the Lord's Supper. We're right here. We're right here at midnight on Thursday. Tomorrow is a crucifixion of the Lord Jesus. So um, we're, we're studying uh, this chapter, chapter 26 at an average of nine verses at a time, okay? We just look at nine verses uh, in, each, uh, in each lesson. We have a week between each lesson to contemplate the, the truths and to make application and to ask questions about them. Realize the disciples are living all this back to back, 
Okay? So if they get sleep uh, these days, granted, it's, um, it's a, a very rushed sleep, an uneasy sleep, as, as so much is going on, so much is happening in the disciples' lives. Imagine the saturation of the Lord's teaching. The Lord has been preparing his disciples, uh, equipping them, uh, giving them last instructions, and they're trying to, to, to take all this in. The Lord's triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Hallelujah! The Lord is finally receiving his uh, uh, little bit of praise uh, for which he's due. The bewilderment of the Lord again foretelling his death. Um, what's, uh, what's this about you um, dying and, uh, and rising from the dead? And then um, even the anointing of the, the woman for the Lord's burial. Uh, try to... Um, Try to sympathize with the disciples. What would be going through your mind? What would be your, your state of mind as, uh, as all these events are occurring? The Lord Jesus warned his disciples of his impending death. The disciples didn't understand. They simply didn't understand. So why tell them what they are not going to understand? Because when they do understand, they are going to understand. When they understand, they look back at the, at the truths that the Lord gave them, the preparation that he made, they're going to realize nothing took the Lord Jesus by surprise. All right? He knew everything that was going to happen. He was in control of everything that happened uh, in these days. It also uh, will show the disciples that in addressing the needs of all mankind, he made full provision for his, his creatures, for, his, um, uh, for men and women, for his disciples, that um, the Lord made provision in advance for, for all of our needs. And then finally, um, the fact that uh, he's telling them things they don't understand um, eventually they'll understand and they'll see that the Lord is faithful. And he's done everything that he promised exactly as he said he would. Okay? So, um, disciples, if you're, um, uh, if you're with the disciples, understand um, that they, they, need, uh, they need some understanding. They need some time. All right. Um, the setting, I, I mentioned it's around midnight. And the disciples are leaving the upper room. If you'd give us a map, Christine. We see uh, one artist's um, uh, depiction of um, where they would have celebrated the Last Supper in Jerusalem. This is uh, old Jerusalem with the walls around it. So um, after the meal, they, uh, they came out, the dotted trail, they went to the Mount of Olives, and the Lord is headed for Gethsemane uh, next week. Next week we'll look at Gethsemane. But this gives you a setting of um, what here, what's here. There's no street lights. Um, it's dark, and, um, and the Lord's going to offer his, um, his disciples some last preparation. Thank you, Christine. So let's, um, let's start now with uh, Matthew 26 and look at verse 30. 
And when, and when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. But after I have been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. Peter answered and said to him, Even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you that this night, before the rooster crows, you will deny me three times. Peter said to him, Even if I have to die with you, I will not deny you. And so said all the disciples. It's a, it's a profound verse uh, 30 that they sang a hymn. They had celebrated the Passover and part of the, uh, the Passover, traditionally, is singing the great halal. Am I pronouncing that right? All right. So um, at certain points during the Passover, they would sing. At the end of the Passover, uh, well, the, the halal, the great halal, halal means praise in Hebrew. And um, the, uh, the understanding is that this great praise, this halal, is... Uh, Psalms 113 through 118. We know what the Lord sang. Okay? Um, and uh, his disciples, what they sang. Uh, we realize uh, at the end of the Passover, they probably sang the end of Psalm 118. And just to touch on a few verses at the end of Psalm 118, uh, imagine... Uh, imagine the Lord and the disciples singing, the, uh, the stone which the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. That's uh, Psalm 118, verse 22. Imagine the significance that, uh, that the Lord Jesus would realize as he, he was singing to the Father uh, about what, uh, what he was going to do. The, the builders were rejecting the, um, the stone, uh, the, the precious stone, of the Lord's choosing, uh, but he's become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. You are, uh, and then verse 28, you are my God and I will praise you. You are my God. I will exalt you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good, for his mercy endures forever. I think of uh, angels singing um, glory to God in the highest at the birth of the Lord Jesus. And I think, wow, what would it be to sing with the angels? But to sing with the Lord Jesus, to hear him sing praise to his father. Wow, what would that be? How, uh, how moving to, uh, to stand with him and hear his, his praise. Earlier in the evening, the Lord Jesus had thanked his father for the bread he had, um, uh, which symbolized his body broken, and he thanked the Lord for the cup. He thanked his father for the cup, which symbolized his blood to be shed for the forgiveness of sin. The Lord Jesus acted in the confidence that all he did was within the father's will. It was a perfect performance a perfect execution of the Father's will. So in the coming 
verses in the coming lessons in the coming weeks if you have any doubt at all that what is transpiring the the mock trial the beatings uh, the scourging the uh, the crucifixion the uh, hours of darkness on the cross if there's any doubt in your mind about the Lord's uh, being in his father's will this should settle it for you he's praising God he's praising his father for the cup for the bread he's singing praise to him uh, that the, uh, the stone will be rejected. And so this is a very significant verse for us. It kind of sets the tone, if you will, for the remainder of, um, uh, of the chapter and uh, of, of the verses ahead. In verse 31, the Lord warns his disciples of their desertion. There's a solemn Warning here in verse 31. All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. He gives, um, he gives the who, the where, and the what. Who, all of you, when, this night, what will be made to stumble because of me. You're all going to be offended uh, at me. You're going to disown me. You're going to, uh, to desert me. Um, and the Lord Jesus quoted the prophet Zechariah. Um, if you want, you can turn to Zechariah uh, 13. Uh, Zechariah is the uh, next to the last book of the, of the Old Testament. The Lord Jesus partially quoted verse 7. And Zechariah 13.7 reads, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. Then I will turn my hand against the little ones. The word there, strike, um, strike the shepherd, in, uh, in the original means to give a blow with a hand or the fist or with a weapon. Um, and it means to strike deep so as to wound or to kill. So when, when Zechariah prophesies uh, about the sword, uh, it's a killing blow. It's a mortal blow against the shepherd. Why strike the shepherd at all? Seeing that we naturally need uh, a shepherd. We're like sheep uh, fainting and being scattered. There are keys to our understanding, uh, the sword is a symbol of divine judgment of the justice of God. We read that in Deuteronomy 32, verse 41. If I wet my glittering sword, that is, if I sharpen my glittering sword and my hand takes hold on judgment, I will render vengeance to my enemies and repay those who hate me. The, uh, the sword is a, uh, an instrument of God's judgment. God's mortal wound against his shepherd was an act of judgment. But um, why judge? Why, um, why wound the man who is my companion? That's an interesting phrase as well. The man who is my companion. It, it speaks of uh, equality, man who is my uh, equal, my friend. Uh, 
why, um, why strike him who is, uh, who is my companion? Well, the sword is a, an instrument of judgment, and uh, that word to strike is uh, used also in Isaiah 53, and we were there this morning in Isaiah 53, verse 4. Let's, um, let's look at that, if you will. Uh, Surely he has borne our griefs and has carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. There it is, the word smitten is um, the same word in the original as to strike the shepherd. So um, we, uh, we associate the, um, the sin bearer of Isaiah 53.4 with the shepherd who was stricken in uh, Zechariah 13. He's the same. The sin bearer is the shepherd. We find this association in the New, in the New Testament as well in um, uh, John 10. If you'd like to turn to John 10, and starting at verse 7. Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who ever came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. I am the good shepherd, verse 11, the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. We see this this same association here that Jesus is the shepherd. He's the shepherd who was was, uh, struck by God. uh, He's he's the shepherd who is, is the sin bearer. And we find that here, he's the shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. We read also in these verses that uh, Jesus is the door of the sheep. If anyone wants to enter God's fold, he must enter through the door. He must enter uh, through Jesus. There are thieves and robbers who promise good things to the sheep, and they're, they're charlatans, they're fakes. They're, um, they're scammers. They're offering you something that they have no intention of providing. Jesus says they're thieves and robbers, but the sheep do not hear them. There are many roads to Jesus, but there's only one road to the Father, and that's through the Lord Jesus, through the door of the sheep. No one comes to the Father but through me, he said. Jesus offers salvation to the sheep by presenting himself as a sacrifice for our sin. Again, the good shepherd offers his life for the sheep. Jesus, the loving shepherd, gave his dear life for thee. Tenderly now he's calling, wanderer, come to me. Haste. For without his danger, come, cries the shepherd blessed. Enter the fold of safety, enter the place of rest. Lovingly, tenderly calling is he, wanderer, wanderer, come unto me. Patiently waiting, there standing I see, Jesus, my shepherd divine. 
Are you a sheep that belongs to Jesus? If not, enter the door of the sheep by faith, knowing that he alone paid the penalty of your sin. He alone is, um, is the one who can bring you to the Father. We read, um, after the Lord strikes the shepherd that the sheep of the flock will be scattered in uh, Matthew 26, 31. Interesting that um, the Lord will strike the shepherd, but he doesn't say that he's going to scatter, scatter the sheep. He says the sheep will be scattered. So it's his intention to strike the shepherd, but the fact that the sheep scatter is, uh, is their choice. It's not the father's choice. They're going to scatter. They're going to run. Bill McDonald says in his commentary, Jesus' disciples would dissociate themselves from him that night. Fear would overwhelm them when they saw the fury of the storm breaking. To save their own skins, they would forsake their master. This, uh, the shepherds uh, stricken, the sheep of the flock scattered. But the Lord Jesus adds this precious promise in verse 32. He says, uh, but after, I, after I've been raised, I will go before you to Galilee. After I've been raised. The Lord Jesus looked beyond his suffering to his victorious rising again. And he's urging his disciples to do so as well. After I'm risen, after I'm raised. He wants, to, he wants the disciples to, to think beyond the, uh, the moment. During his um, earthly ministry, did the Lord ever prophesy his death without prophesying his resurrection as well? He always had that, that, uh, uh, that gleam of hope that he, uh, that he offered the disciples. It's not the end. Okay? Earlier, the, the disciples questioned what rising from the dead meant, and I'm sure that they still haven't cleared the cobwebs out of that, that uh, uh, statement yet. And had you and I been there with the disciples, we would have been stuck in the same misunderstanding. What does it mean to rise from the dead? For you, Lord Jesus, to rise from the dead. That's the first half of the Lord's encouragement in verse 32. And the second half is, I will go before you to Galilee. I'm going to rise from the dead, and I'm going to go before you. Okay? We, uh, we read in John 10, verse 4, that um, Jesus is the shepherd who goes before his sheep. He precedes them. He, he, uh, he makes the way clear, and his sheep follow him. He's not only the shepherd who gives life to the sheep, but he is also the, the one who goes before them. He goes before uh, the sheep. He is the captain. He's the one who leads us in salvation. He leads us through, uh, through death into life everlasting. We pa he passed and we follow him there. Galilee would be a place of restoration of service. He would, uh, he would gather the disciples back to, to Galilee and renew 
their, their commission. They were, they're, they're so fearful right now, so, um, so weak, and yet um, the Lord looked beyond his resurrection to, um, to go before them to Galilee to, to gather them back. Approaching his hour of agony and loss, Jesus offered manifold hope to his followers. Are you encouraged this morning by his careful provision that he makes and his faithfulness to his disciples? Okay, Peter, you have an opportunity to respond in verse 33. Peter answered and said to him, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will never be made to stumble. Zechariah's prophecy lay unfulfilled for 500 years. The Lord Jesus announced its fulfillment tonight. Tonight, this prophecy is fulfilled. The shepherd will be uh, stricken. The sheep will be scattered. And um, Peter's response, in spite of the weight of prophecy and the Lord's solemn warning, Peter overrides it and he says... um, I'm loyal to you. I will not stumble. It wasn't the first time Peter had contradicted his master. Back in Matthew 16, we we see the Lord Jesus um, predicting his suffering many things from the elders and the chief priests and the scribes. And that he would be killed and raised again the third day, Matthew 16, 21 through 23. And uh, Peter took the Lord aside. He said, Lord, um, you know, I need to talk to you. I need to tell you something. And he rebuked the Lord Jesus. He said, this will never be. The Lord Jesus' response was, get behind me, Satan. You don't, uh, you don't savor, you don't uh, appreciate the things of God, but the things of men. Look how close Satan was to this, uh, this contradiction of Peter's. We'll, we'll see more um, in a few minutes. I will never be made to stumble. It was a statement of self-reliance. Jesus said, you're going to flee. Peter said, I'm going to be here for you, Lord. I will not flee from you. The Lord Jesus was uh, demonstrating to the disciples here as so many times before that he knew all things. He knew what was going to happen in the hours ahead. But after three and a half years of devoted following, Peter somehow felt that he'd earned the right to defy the Lord's counsel, to contradict the Lord. Peter's zeal was misguided. Is there an instance of anyone in scripture, in history, in uh, in modern day, the um, instance of anyone who fulfilled the will of God in his own strength? Not a one, not a one. Uh, Peter wrote the Philippians, he said, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, okay? I can do everything through Christ who strengthens me. And Jesus uh, said in John 15, he said, without me, you can do nothing. So here's Peter standing uh, bravely, courageously, I'm going to do it. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stand with you, Lord, but he's doing it in his own strength. The Lord has already said, you're not going to. Peter's, um, uh, Peter's zeal is misguided. <clears throat> the Lord appreciates hearing I will from his creatures, but not when they oppose his will, his sovereign working. Consider the following I will statements of scripture. Uh, Samson in um, Judges 16.20, I will go out as at other times, not knowing that the Lord had departed from him. So uh, <clears throat> Samson had, uh, had endured a lot of um, mischief at the hands of the uh, Philistines, and uh, he thought that when they cut his hair, um, that he could just go out as at other times. Uh, he was out of the will of God, and, uh, and he suffered for it. <clears throat> what about Israel at the border of Canaan? They had left Egypt, and uh, they'd sent spies into the land. The spies came back. They said, uh, you don't want to go to Canaan because, uh, because the sons of Anak live there in walled cities, and they uh, were like grasshoppers in their sight. And um, uh, the Lord said, um, uh, the Lord said, you will not go up to the land then. And uh, the, the nation felt so bad that they said, okay, we'll go up. The Lord had said, no, now you're not going to go up. And the, the nation said, we will, we are able. And they went up and they got defeated soundly by the Canaanites and the Amalekites. Um, but they, they also said, we will when in fact uh, they didn't, they won't. And then um, the I will statements of Lucifer in Isaiah 14, uh, seven or eight times, uh, there's a dreadful monotony of I will, I will, I will, I will. Read, uh, read Isaiah 14, 12 through 15. But it's not just a contradiction that Peter says. He says, um, even if all are made to stumble because of you, I will not stumble. So there's an element of pride. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Peter boasted greater courage and a love superior than all the 10 others. They may fail you. They may stumble. They may fall. But Lord, Peter won't. Okay? There was pride. Who better to stand against the storm, thought Peter. His pride overruled the, uh, uh, the Lord Jesus' omniscience. Peter, uh, I'm sorry, the Lord Jesus warned Peter of Satan's temptation. <coughs> in, uh, we're going to turn now to Luke's account in Luke 22. Luke alone uh, records this part of the dialogue. Luke 22 and 31, verse 31. So the Lord, uh, so Peter has boasted his courage and um, the Lord said, Simon, Simon, indeed, Satan has asked for you that he may sift you as wheat, but I have prayed for you that your faith should not fail. And when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. But he said to him, Lord, I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Simon, Simon. The Lord's repetition of Peter's name 
shows the pity and the love he had for his um, impetuous, vacillating disciple. And the use of his name Simon indicates that there's something old that we're having to deal with again. It's not Peter right now, it's Simon that I'm having to, to deal with. Simon, uh, Satan has asked, asked for you. Satan had to ask permission to attack Peter. Why would the Lord give permission to Satan to attack Peter? Say, uh, Peter was a prime target for Satan's fiery darts. He was the acknowledged, if not appointed, spokesman for the disciples. Peter was impetuous. He was quick, passionate, loud. He ignited quickly and he burned hot. Jesus said, Satan intends to sift you like wheat. Uh, in some cultures, they, um, uh, in the process of uh, harvesting wheat, the farmer takes a big basket, a big shallow uh, basket. It's a sieve. It's got, uh, it's, it's got uh, openings all over it. And so the farmer will take his, um, uh, his threshed wheat and he'll, he'll sift and sift and sift. And the, the corns of wheat, the grains of wheat will fall to the ground and then he'll take the chaff and he'll, he'll just throw it, all right? Satan said, I'm going to sift you. And I'm going to show you that in sifting, there's no grain. There's nothing that's going to fall to the ground. You're all chaff. Peter, you're chaff. And if I can show that the leader, the spokesman of the disciples is chaff, all the other ten are fakes and frauds as well. Okay? So, Satan's allegation is, uh, there's no grain in your basket, Peter. You're a hypocrite, a pretender. Satan used a similar tactic with Job. Satan tried to show that Job was obeying God. He was following God just for the benefits. Satan failed. God, uh, God showed that um, Job was indeed loyal, that even though the Lord were to slay him, yet he would, Job would follow him, would love him. But Satan is persistent. He hates God. He hates the Son of God. He hates the followers of the Son of God. He hates faith and devotion. And so he is going to attack. Jesus knows what's in the hearts of his followers, Job and Peter. Satan does not. Satan observes the natural heart that's deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Jesus sees the follower's heart and he sees a new, uh, a new heart, a new creation, a new devotion. He sees life. And uh, in his believers, it is sustained by his prayer and by his strength alone. And we see that in verse 32 that, um, I'm sorry, in, uh, yeah, in verse 32, 
This is the reason why our faith doesn't run out, why it's not overthrown, because Jesus prayed for Peter. If anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous, wonderful ministry of the Lord Jesus. He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for them. Right now, the Lord Jesus is interceding for us. He's praying for us that our faith will be strong, that it will not fail. In his high priestly prayer for his saints, he said, Holy Father, keep through your name those you have given me. Through manifold temptation, my soul holds on its course. Christ's mighty intercession alone is my resource. My gracious high priest's pleadings who on the cross did bleed bring, bring down God's grace and blessings and help in hour of need. The Lord Jesus didn't promise to pay, pray for Peter. He prayed. He said, Peter, I've prayed for you. Not for the avoidance of the temptation, but for faith's endurance through it and God's glory. This is the third encouragement that he's given to uh, one of his disciples. The first, I will raise from the dead. The second, I will go before you to Galilee. The third, I've prayed for you that your faith would not fail. And then the fourth in these verses in Luke uh, 22 is when you have returned to me, not if, Peter, when you have returned to me, strengthen your brethren. The Lord looked ahead to Peter's return and to his restoration and to his continued service for him. Peter's response in, uh, in verse 33, it's as if he didn't hear the Lord. I'm ready to go with you both to prison and to death. Satan's attack would be carefully planned and savagely executed. Would he deceive as the father of lies? Would he accuse as the accuser of the brethren? Would he discourage and terrorize as the lion who seeks to devour? The Lord Jesus didn't tell Peter. He didn't indicate. Would he have found a receptive heart anyway? Peter was busy asserting his devotion uh, over, to overrule the Lord's warning. Note also that the enemy is brazen enough, he's bold enough to attack his victim's strength. Peter was indeed a fiercely loyal follower of the Lord Jesus. He wasn't exaggerating when he said, I'm willing to follow you to prison and to death. Peter was sincere. He loved the Lord. Peter's failure was that his spirit was willing but his flesh was weak. He didn't realize the weakness and the cowardice of his own heart. Peter's sincerity could not make up for this weakness. And so the Lord's uh, third warning to Peter, the rooster will not crow before you will deny me three times. Our account Luke's account now parallels Matthew, so we'll go back to Matthew uh, 26 and verse 35. 
Peter answered the Lord's three warnings with three promises that he would not stumble, that he was ready to follow the Lord to prison and to death, and that he would not deny the Lord. And so said all the disciples. All were willing to die for their master. Their loyalty is good, it's commendable, it's right. But all were weak, and their flesh would not allow them to die. Instead of denying self, they would deny Jesus to preserve self. What's our application this morning? Well, if you're a sheep without a shepherd, enter the door. Jesus is calling. He wants you to be his sheep. He wants you to be in his protection, in his fold, in his provision. You will be saved and find pasture. Second, put on your thinking caps and, your, and Peter's sandals and ask the question, what should Peter have done? Instead of this um, uh, arrogant boasting, what should Peter have done? And we'll find application for ourselves. Three warnings, three contradictions. Well, first, uh, humble yourself. Be clothed with humility. Peter writes, For God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time. Humble yourself, Peter, and us, we humble ourselves. Second, watch and pray. The Lord would tell his disciples, watch and pray that you enter not into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Humble yourself. Watch and pray. And then trust the Lord to be right and to do right. Don't contradict his word. When he, uh, when he, says, uh, he says something about you that's um, not, not uh, complimentary, don't contradict him. Don't say, oh, well, I'm, I'm better than that. I, I couldn't make that mistake. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not in your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. We thank you, Lord, for the uh, lesson this morning, for the look at Peter's life. We um, realize that he is um, such a wonderful, uh, devoted follower and yet um, a man of uh, weakness and um, pride. Uh, we want to carry these lessons with us. <clears throat> we want to be humble. We want to watch and pray. We want to trust you as, uh, as you lead our lives. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.